0: I'm glad we can come into God's house. Aren't you? I'm glad he's still God. He's still on the throne. I'm glad his word is still sure. We were looking in Sunday school. Uh, I'm glad his mercy is still there. I mean, you, uh, we, we were looking at the golden calf this morning and I don't know how many times I've heard that, read it uh taught it preached it whatever and you know i was just thinking about this morning just another example of the mercy of god you know just one more he said uh, he could have wiped them out and started over uh, but instead, God showed mercy, and I'm thankful. Isn't that the same with you and I? He could wipe us out, right? He could. He could just. We have. We have no rights to heaven in and of ourselves, right? We have for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. But aren't you glad He's given us a new start? I say praise God. That's why we come worship Him today, isn't it? That's why we're here today. If you're here for any other reason, it's not the right one. But I hope uh, before this is over, you get you realize the correct reason that you're here is to worship. God. And that's, that's our purpose here today. And one of the ways we do that is getting into God's word. So John chapter nine, verse one says this. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth and his disciples asked him saying, master who did sin this man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus answered, uh, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is yet day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made a clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we thank you for its truth, and Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be able to preach this morning. Lord, that you would use me, but Lord, uh, not just that you would touch me, but touch each and every one of us, our hearts, our ears, and our minds. Lord, that we can see from your word, Lord, uh, who you are, and Lord, we're thankful for all things. Lord, I pray that you touch hearts today. If anyone doesn't know you as their personal Savior, I pray that today would be the day they'd come to you, and Lord, I that you take away the distractions, Lord. Help us to focus on you, be with the children downstairs, and Lord, that everything would be done in Jesus' name. And in His name, we pray. And amen. So at the end of John chapter 8, the previous chapter, Jesus is speaking with the Jews. Uh, and remember, that chapter starts with they bring the woman that's caught in the act of adultery. Uh, but later on, at the end of the chapter, Jesus said unto them in 58, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. That's what Jesus said. Before Abraham was, I am. He's saying this to the Jews. And when he said it, verse 59, then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. So Jesus right here at the, the end of the previous chapter uh, is one of the many times they wanted to kill Jesus. This is over and over again. Either they wanted to stone him or in natural his hometown they wanted to throw him over the cliff and it was all for the same reason over and over again Jesus proclaimed that he was God Anyone that tells you that Jesus never said he was God never has read the Gospels for real right. because it's over and over again. And in fact, you will see uh, in this chapter, the chapter before, I even think that I think chapter 10 is the same way. The reason the Jews hated Jesus and wanted him dead was not because of the miracles. It was not because of uh, the things he taught. It was because he said, I am God, however he said it, I, I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the fountain of flowing water. Uh, the father and I are one, whatever he says, that's what they did not like. They did not believe Jesus was God. And that was the problem. And what do we see? Uh, you, you know, they, uh, uh, Jesus, because they didn't want him there, they wanted to kill him. He walks through the crowd and that last uh, phrase at the end of the last chapter. And so passed by you realize something? Jesus will not force himself on anyone. He will not force you to come to him. I don't care what the Calvinists say. The Bible doesn't support it. He does not force people to be saved. Uh, he, uh, Here's the thing. He, he answered their arguments. He gave them truth. But eventually, when they didn't want to hear the truth anymore, when they stopped their ears, when they want to cast stones at him, Jesus passed by and went to somebody else. And here's the thing. Maybe you've been here a couple times before and maybe you're, you still you still know Jesus Christ and, and maybe there's been times where you felt that touch of the Holy Spirit, that pull, and it, it's not anything I'm doing. It's not anything the singers are doing. That is God talking to your heart, touching your heart. Uh, and if you feel that pull of the Holy Spirit, I can't promise you you'll feel it again today. I can't promise you if you come here a hundred times and put it off, I can't promise every time that God's going to pull you again and draw you again. And here's the thing. uh, There have been many people over the years that have heard the truth over and over again, and they keep rejecting it and they keep rejecting it. There comes a time where that's the last rejection and Jesus passes by and he goes to somebody else. I don't want you to be that person that he passes by the last time and that's it. But if you keep rejecting him, you'll be one of those people. Hard-hardened, just a matter of time before you leave this life and open your eyes in hell. Mike, I don't like when you preach like that. Well, here's, it's the truth. Jesus preached like that, but he didn't force himself. So he passed by the Jews that wanted to stone him because he said he was God. And in our passage, the very next verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, and as Jesus passed by... What's he do? He saw a man which was blind from his birth. So he's quietly leaving those that want to stone him and he sees this man blind from birth. And again, here's the character of God. He's not forcing himself on anyone. But on the other hand, God's desire is not for any to perish, right? God's desire is to change men's hearts. And I'm thankful for that. Aren't you glad he changed your heart? Aren't you glad he touched your life? I am. Verse two, and his disciples asked him saying, master, who did sin this man or his parents that he was born blind? So Jesus knew he was born blind because he's God. But the disciples are asking this question. See, the man must have said this as he's begging uh, there by the temple saying, Hey, I, I've been this way all my life. Uh, and so the disciples are asking this question. Who sinned? Which one sin caused this man's blindness? And this, this seems strange to us today, or it should, right? But in those days, there were a couple beliefs. The people that believed in reincarnation thought in a past life he did something bad. And now he's being punished for it in this life. Well, we know that's ridiculous. You're not. You get one life. Amen. Yeah. You're not coming back as an animal. You're not getting another shot. You get one life and that's it. It's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. So we can just cast that aside. But the Jews had two other. They had two beliefs. Number one, the parents could have committed some grievous sins before the child was born, and that's why he was born blind. It was a punishment, basically, for the sins of the parents. That's one belief. The other belief, now this is really ridiculous. They thought that a child in the mother's womb, not even born yet, if it kicked too much, caused too much of a fuss, whatever, that it could be basically a sinner before birth. And it seems ridiculous, but they believe this. And you're thinking, why? This is what religion does. It does crazy things, right? They have to figure out he's born blind. It's got to be a punishment for something. So we've got to figure out why he is punished. And so they come up with these ridiculous ideas. Who's responsible, the parents or the man himself before he was born? Now here we should stop and look at the problem. The disciples are more concerned about this religious question than the man himself, right? They want to know whose sin that caused this. And yet you're thinking about this is Jesus Christ. They've walked with him. They've already seen him heal in scripture. By this point, he's healed two blind men already. Countless. I'm sure he'd healed countless by this point. But two he's done already. They should have said this man is born blind. Jesus, you need to heal him. But instead, they want to ask, who sinned? And maybe they were asking this question to see, is he worthy of healing or not? You know, is he is he even worthy of it? If he committed the sin, maybe he's not as worthy if maybe the parents committed. I don't know. But look at Jesus' response. I like this. Verse 3. Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Whose sin is responsible? And he's saying, hey. Neither of them. It wasn't the parent's sin that caused the blindness. It wasn't his sin that caused the blindness. Because here's the thing. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, right? If a sin is going to cause a problem in the next generation, we've all would have this problem. He's saying that's not it. But look what he says at the last part of the verse. Jesus said he was born blind that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now this is hard because what Jesus is saying is this man has been born blind so that one day God would come to him and would touch his blinded eye so that God could get the glory. And we see that in this story. That's what's going to happen in this story. Uh, The Lord is going to get the glory for healing his blindness. And you're thinking, well, that's good. I like that. But here's the problem. What happens when you're the blind man? Right? What happens when you're enduring the problem, the trial, the disease, the whatever it is in your life, you're having to suffer over it and you're thinking, well, it's easy for me to trust uh, that God's going to take care of Irma. And it's easy for me to say, well, God's going to get the glory out of that. But when I'm in the hospital, it's not that easy. Right. Amen? Right. Amen. That's what happens, right? That, that's what we see. He's, he's saying the purpose of this because Jesus doesn't always totally heal. Right? He doesn't always take care of everything in our lives. If he, if he cured every illness and disease, we'd live forever. But he doesn't. And sometimes he doesn't always take away the trials. Sometimes they have to go throughout our whole life. And I, I saw a, a thing of Jake, about Jacob Berry the other day, and it reminded me of him. Uh, he's a preacher that's in a wheelchair, and it's a it's a fancy one because he's got basically his life support on the back of it, and he's got a uh, uh, and his trachea there he's got the ventilator that or i think that's what they call it, that breathes for him basically and uh no strength uh, uh, i think it's muscular dystrophy a form of it uh you know there's just he can't get around without help he's got to have the wheelchair he's got to have all kinds of care and everything else all the time and god called him to preach and it's one of those things that's crazy Until we we've watched him and then you see uh, when Brad was over at Fairview, whichever direction that is, but he was when he was at that church, Jacob preached a revival one night and we watched what they had to do. They would take that ventilator off and he would preach and he's got no voice at all. You think, what's a a preacher with no voice, no power to actually preach? He's got no voice power at all. He barely squeaks things out, and his mother stands there with the microphone repeating what he says. And he does a line, she does a line, he does a line. And here's the thing, he can't hold up a Bible or notes or anything, so he has to memorize the entire sermon. And he gets up there and I watch, I've I've seen him a couple times, but one time it was a huge meeting and I was far away. But when I saw him close up do this, I thought, my goodness, there is no excuse for any of us that God's called to do anything. If he could use someone like him to preach the gospel. And then by the time he's done, he's totally wore out. They hook him back up uh, and he's basically done, right? He's all energy has gone. But God used it for his glory. And I thought, my goodness. If that, I mean, Jacob's an extreme example. But he's proof that God can do anything. I've seen my wife. I've seen Brooke struggle with multiple sclerosis. I mean, I've seen where uh, you know where energy's gone, where she's hurting and everything else and trying to get the, the medicines right and trying to get things paid for and insurance to cover it and all of these things, all while working and taking care of our house and everything else. Uh, I've seen God's glory in that. And I've seen that in other ones around us in this church. I've seen God get the glory of that. But here's the thing. Uh, we, we have to realize That whatever it is Whether the handicap or the disease Or the trial or anything else Every one of us should be living To give glory to Jesus Christ In the good times and in the bad Amen Amen? If we're living by faith Like we should And we're going through this And Jesus is providing what we need Because we're trusting in him by faith People should see that And say wow That's a big God. Amen. Amen. And Jesus goes on. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is yet day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Praise God for that. Keep going. Six. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made a clay of the spittle, and anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And this is the thing. If you go back to where Jesus healed the other blind man, Matthew 9, he touches two blind men's eyes and immediately they're open. Then next chronologically in Mark 8, uh, there's the man at the pool of Bethesda, the blind man. He opens his eyes uh, a pretty similar way. He does it two times and, and then uh, there's a story behind that. But now uh, this blind man, he's uh, uh, he, tell, he touches his eyes. He makes mud basically out of the dirt and spit, puts mud on his eyes and tells us him to go to the pool of Siloam. And you're thinking, my goodness, what in the world? But John 7, 2 before this tells us it was the feast of tabernacles during this time. And what would happen is you've got the temple up high, the pool of Siloam down low, and then they've got to go all this meandering path with stairs down to the pool. And every day for seven days, the priest would have a golden pitcher That'd be empty. Start up at the temple, and a procession of them would go all the way down to the pool of Siloam. They'd dip that pitcher into the pool, and they'd go all the way back up to the temple, you know, singing and, and praising God and and, and reciting psalms and different things. And then they would pour that out. They would do that seven days in a row. And guess what Jesus Christ did? He sent that blind man with mud on his eyes. And, and this, when this when this would happen each of the seven days in the morning, there'd be crowds of Jews wanting to see it. They'd be crowding around the pool. They'd be crowding around the route. I mean, there'd be tons of people that want to watch this procession and partake in everything else. So Jesus tells the man. I put mud on your eyes and says, go to the pool of Siloam. And you're thinking, while they're doing this procession, while they're going to dip that uh, golden pitcher and everything else, uh, God sends this blind man who's going to have to be led through the crowds of people to get into that pool and to wash himself. Now, what would that have taken? It would have taken faith, wouldn't it? Yeah. Why on earth would this man follow what Jesus said? why would he do it? And here's the thing you can see from the Bible. You want a miracle from God? It's going to come from obedience. Amen. You will not be blessed from God by disobedience. You'll be blessed from this world by disobeying God, but not from God himself. So there he goes. Instead of staying there at the temple to beg, he was in a good spot because they would have been coming back that way uh, and he could have begged and everything else. But instead, he tells them to go to the pool of Siloam down the way. uh, He washes and immediately he receives his sight. Now, think of this for a second. Now, there's crowds of people around that pool. Have you ever seen videos uh, of uh, they've got the colorblind glasses? Have you ever seen those before? Someone who, who can't see any colors, they've made these glasses. I don't know what's in them, but they put those glasses on and suddenly they can see colors. Have you ever seen a video of that? Or the other thing I've seen a lot is people that are deaf and they put those things on the side and all of a sudden someone who could never hear before, they put those on and suddenly they can hear. Have you ever watched those videos? It's moving. You're like, my goodness, someone who can hear, the, what is that sound? What is that color? What is that? I mean, it's amazing. Now imagine a man who's never been able to see before in his life, goes and washes in the pool, comes out of the water, and suddenly, for the first time in his life, he can see everything. Now imagine the commotion that's going to happen, right? He's not going to be quiet about it. He's going to be praising God. He's going to be asking what things are, right? He's going to be saying, Jesus did this. I don't know who Jesus is, but Jesus touched my eyes, told me to come down here. I washed in the pool, and when I came out, I could see. And the crowd saw it, right? They were waiting for a pitcher to be dipped and walked back up, and they saw a miracle. Amen? Amen. That's why Jesus sent him down there would have caused a stir and everything else. And we don't have time to go over the rest of the chapter. This entire chapter 9 is dedicated to this one story. And you know what I've told you from verse 8 to verse 34? 26 verses they spend arguing and going back and forth whether the man was truly born blind. And you're thinking, why? Why would they spend so much time Because the Pharisees came up with this requirement for the Messiah. They came up with all kinds of requirements. They thought the Messiah, Messiah, uh, what he should be able to do. And one of the big ones they had is the Messiah should be able to touch someone who's been blind from birth and see again. Because nobody had ever done that in scripture. No prophet, no anybody. And they said, surely when the Messiah comes, he'll be able to do that. Well, guess what? Jesus did it. Now what's the problem? They hate him. They want to cast stones at him. They want to kill him. They want him gone because he said he's equal with God. And now he's done the very miracle they said the Messiah should be able to do. And now what are they doing? Well, maybe he wasn't really born blind. Right? They got to get out of it. There's got to be a loophole. So they go question him. They question his parents. They question him again. Right? Right? They try to figure it out. The neighbors that are around are like, yeah, I think I've seen him. Yeah, uh, I don't know if that's really him. It looks like him. I'm pretty sure it's him. And they're just going back and forth. Why? Because again, religion painted them in a box and now they're in trouble. Jesus said, this is no problem for me to touch a man blind from birth. And I'll do it out in public in front of all of you. So that way you can see that I'm God. That's how merciful he is. And And then they're arguing. And then they're saying it couldn't have been him. And finally, it leads to them kicking the man out of the temple. They've already kicked Jesus out, right? And now they're kicking the man out. Well, guess what? He wasn't allowed to come in anyway because he was blind. And now he can't stay. I don't think he really cares. But if we go on now, skip all the way down to verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Religion could not help the man. It could only ask the question, who sinned? Right? And religion kicks him out of the temple. But now Jesus Christ, who is God, is asking. He finds him. Because remember, the man's never seen Jesus. He was still blind when he left Jesus. And he asked him the most important question of all. Dost thou believe on the son of God. You know what? Blind Barnabas and the others called out to Jesus. This man never called out to Jesus. Jesus came to him. And now Jesus is asking him. Do you believe I'm the son of God? Do you believe on the son of God? And this is the this is the Question. See, remember, the man put his faith in Jesus to go down to the pool and get a healing. But now he's saying, I want you to put your faith in me as God. The religious leaders won't do it, but will you do it? That's what he's asking. So the man asks, he's saying, who is he, Lord, that I might believe? You show me who this man is. I'll believe on him. Right? Right? Point me to God, and I'll worship God. I don't care about the temple, right? I don't care about anyone around me. Uh, I was blind, and now I could see. And he's saying, I want to take the next step. Verse 37, I'll tell you what. You want to see who the Lord is? You want to believe on the real Jesus? Look at what he says. Verse 37, Jesus said unto him, thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. He's saying, hey, you want to find God? God's standing right here, right now. God touched your blood blinded eyes so you can see and God will save your soul you're looking at him, you're talking to him he's God talking to you look at verse 38 and he said Lord I believe and he worshipped him there was no hesitation, no other questions nothing else, he just instantly believed that Jesus Christ was God and that man was changed. you think that man was changed when he uh, went to that pool with mud on his eyes and came out being able to see, he went to Jesus Christ not sure who Jesus was, not sure who he looked like. He kind of remembered what he sounded like, but he had a second encounter with Jesus Christ and he saved his soul that day and he was changed from there forevermore. I'll tell you what, you can come to Jesus and get a physical healing and it'll help you for a while, but what you need to do is come to Jesus and give him your life. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? That's what matters today, right? Right? That blind man, he was a picture of everyone that's that's a sinner. Every sinner, that blind man was a picture of. You're thinking, why? He couldn't see a thing. He lived in darkness. And here's the problem. You're saying, well, Mike, I can see fine. Maybe uh, maybe I need glasses or maybe, uh, you know, maybe surgery for cataracts or things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. This devil has this world convinced that they can see clearly. Yet Jesus said men love darkness rather than light. They would rather walk through their, this life with their eyes closed spiritually. And the devil saying you're alright as you're headed straight to hell. But aren't you glad that Jesus is the light of the world? Amen. And he can touch your blinded eye. He can touch your soul. And he can, hey, he can pass by your way and open up those eyes. What's that mean? That means Jesus can take away all the deception of the devil in an instant. And you can realize that you have sinned against God. That's what the Bible says. We talked about it in Sunday school. You realize how easy it is to sin against God. We do it every day, all day. Idle thoughts, lying, cheating, everything else. Uh, The small sins that people talk about we have gone against God over and over again and aren't you glad that God didn't leave us that way Uh, Jesus came to this earth and the sole purpose was to save sinners he lived a a perfect life not even any uh, uh, bad words came out of his mouth no guile was found in his mouth and even when they wanted to kill him he still showed them mercy he went to the cross and died for our sins and he didn't stay dead He rose from the dead on the third day victoriously. That shows me that God the Father accepted it. I'll tell you what, there's been many prophets, many uh, religious gurus. They died and they're still dead. They'll build a bigger and bigger golden statue of them, but they're still dead. I'll tell you what, I don't need a golden statue because I've got a living Savior, Jesus Christ. And he touched my heart when I was nine years old. And I've never been the same ever since. Have I lived a perfect life? Far from it. But I'll tell you what, I I'm slowly getting closer to where God wants me to be. I would be closer to God today if it wasn't for me. But he's still dealing with me. He's still helping me. He's still picking me up. And when I fail him, he's still right there to get me going again. That's how much God loves you and I. But it all starts with belief. starts with belief. Do you believe? That blind man said, you show me Jesus. The real Jesus. And he said, I'm right here talking to you. And he touched his life right then and there. Jesus is passing by today. What are you going to do? Are you going to pick up the stones and say, get out of my life? Because what they were saying is, Jesus, it's better if you were not in my life. I want you gone. And you're thinking, I would never do that. Well, guess what? Every time you push him away and every time you reject him, you're doing the same things. You might as well pick up a stone and throw it at him. It's the same thing. He loved you that much that he died for you. And you're saying, I don't want him. I don't need him. Now's not the right time. I want to do this or that. Those are all lies and excuses from the devil. You just need to come to Jesus today. He loves you. But how are you going to respond? Are you going to Put it off for another day. I can't promise he's going to pass by again. If he's touching your heart right now, you need to come to Jesus today. I don't care what people will think. I don't care if you don't think you'll be able to live up to it. He will give you a new life, a new heart. He'll put the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you're not going to turn perfect instantly. But I'll tell you what, the record of your sins will be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when God looks at you, you will appear to be perfect because he was perfect. Why would you take anything else? Why would you give it up? He's given you a new start that starts today. Why would you reject it? Why would you dismiss it? I can't give you a better deal. Even if we took every rich person in this world, we couldn't come up with a better deal than Jesus saying, I will forgive your sins. I'll give you a new start. I'll make it so where you don't even, it's not just you don't have to go to hell. Uh, You can be with me forever after this life. And I'll be with you in this life too. That's what Jesus is saying. But what's the question? Do you believe on the Son of God? Right? Do you believe on Him? The Jews didn't. Many of them didn't. We don't believe you. You're lying. You're not of God. You're just a man. He was, he was a man, but He was also God. And He wants to touch your heart today. I'm going to ask everyone to stand.